1 Peter chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, this stone the builders rejected has become the capstone or the cornerstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and as strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Amen. Well, please do keep your Bibles open with me as we look through First uh, Peter chapter 2, and we're going to really focus this evening on verses 4 through to 10. So that's First Peter chapter 2 and verses 4 uh, through to 10 this evening. And we want to talk about this, the world's greatest announcement, the world's greatest announcement for each of us here this evening. And it's this, because Christ is chosen and precious to God, so are you. Because Christ is chosen and precious to God, so are you. And what we want to come away with tonight's, from tonight's service and from this word from God is seeing that we have a new identity and that we have a glorious new purpose. That we have a new identity and that we have a glorious new purpose. The date is the 8th of May, 1945. And the Prime Minister Winston Churchill comes on to a crackly radio or perhaps some of you know it as the wireless. And the message is broadcast to the nation from the cabinet room at number 10 Downing Street. And he said that there has been a ceasefire signed as of 0241 yesterday. And the words of Winston Churchill, these are his words that day. He said, we may allow ourselves a brief period of rejoicing, but let us not forget for a moment the toil and the efforts that lie ahead. We may allow ourselves a brief period of rejoicing, but let us not forget for a moment the toil and the efforts that lie ahead. And that day he announced that it was Victory Day, and he said that tomorrow will be Victory Day, but we must finish the task. And as crowds filled the streets of London, as many people came out of their homes and rejoiced that the war was over, this seemed like the world's greatest announcement to many. You see, between 50 and 80 million people had died in World War II. 382,700 from the United Kingdom alone. This was a great day. Six long years of war were now over. What is the greatest announcement that the world has ever known? Yes, it's great to hear of peace. 
Yes, it was great to hear that the Second World War had ended, but tonight, this announcement that we have in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, and especially the verses found 9 and 10, that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, this is the greatest announcement. And Peter here writes to this church, and we have established over our series that they are suffering They're suffering from a sense of a low spiritual self-esteem. The people are getting it really tough in the church. And Peter writes to them, and he says, don't let your discouragement set in. If you let this discouragement settle into your hearts, it is like rot, and it will take over you. It'll consume you. You'll no longer be able to see Jesus, as we thought about this morning. Discouragement will eat you up. But instead, Peter is concerned about them. So he pens this letter, and the Spirit of God speaks through him and speaks the gospel to this church, that their identity is found in Jesus Christ, that they're chosen by God, that they have been rescued by Jesus, and they've been drawn into salvation by the Spirit of our God. And as we've thought about it, they're born in verses 1 to 9 to be a people of hope, They are a privileged people in 10 through 12. And then at the end of chapter 1, we looked at how they have a distinctive hope that produces a distinctive holiness that reaches out to people. And because they are chosen and they are precious this evening in Christ, we want to see how that lifts their heads. So Peter at this point, what does he do? He reaches all the way back into the Old Testament. This letter this, uh, that uh, Peter has penned is full of Old Testament references. So he goes back and he uses the wealth of Isaiah and Exodus and Genesis to draw out what it is that he means for us. That brings us to our first point this evening in verses 4 to 8, that Christ is our foundation or Christ is the rock of offense. He is either our foundation or he is the rock of offense. And here Peter is using many different images that we're going to try and uh, walk our way through. Living stones, cornerstones, spiritual houses, holy priesthoods, royal priesthoods, holy nation, a holy nation, and people belonging to God. What is, what is he doing here at, this, at the start of this section? Well, what he wants to do is he wants to clear the decks in the church. You see, there have been internal fighting here amongst the believers Jew and Gentile. And whenever tough times was coming upon them, the Jew was turning to the Gentile and saying, look at our background. Look at where we have come from. Look at the temple and our heritage. Look at who we are. You mean nothing. In the heat of the moment, in the heat of persecution, the church began to turn upon one another. They began to think that there was a a hierarchy in the believers. And Peter wants to write to them, and he knows that it's vastly important that they see that they are not in a hierarchy, but they are equal. So he uses this image of the cornerstone, the living stone, so familiar with those from a Jewish background to do about the temple. And he says to them, as you come to him in verse 4, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, You also, all of you, without distinction, are like living stones being built into a spiritual house, no longer the physical temple, now the spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter is leaning back into the Old Testament. If you're taking notes, he leans upon Isaiah 28 and 16. 
He leans upon Psalm 118, verse 22, and then Isaiah 8 and 14 in the, chap- in the section that lies ahead. We see it there, uh, perhaps in your, your version, you'll see it indented where he quotes from Scripture. And here he wants the, the, the people to see that you are either built upon Jesus Christ, he is either your foundation, or you're not. There's no hierarchy. You're either on Christ or you're not. You either trust in him, you see him as precious, or you don't. And so we see here that Christ causes many men to fall away. They can sign up to church. They can go through the motions. They can present and talk about Jesus. But whenever he tells them that he is the way and the truth and the life, the cornerstone on which their faith must be built, Scripture tells us that he has become a rock of offense that causes many to stumble. And friend, there's a warning for us here this evening, and the warning is simple. Perhaps we have come along to church for many years. Perhaps we have attended this place. We know all the families here. We know all the people that go to Hill Street, but yet we have not become alive in Jesus Christ. He is not precious to us. We have not been made into a living stone. We are not being built into a spiritual house. Are we united in recognizing this evening that Jesus is chosen and that he is precious? And as we as individuals and as a church, are we firmly placed and built upon Jesus Christ, our cornerstone? Now, after Peter clears the decks here, after he shows the people in this church who they are, that they have to be built upon Jesus, they are chosen in him by God, precious to God, then he wants to restore their identity. And that's verses 9 through to 10, our second point, that our identity is restored from the garden. Our identity, our identity is restored from the garden, and this is verses 9 through 10. You see, here Peter delivers four short sure hammer blows right in the middle of this letter, and it's almost like it stands out to us, this passage, these two verses, right in the middle of the letter. And here, it's almost like a rallying cry in the middle. The way that helped me think about it, often whenever uh, I played rugby uh, over the last number of seasons for Portadown, often, unfortunately, we were the second best team whenever we come to meet Belfast Estonians, and Estonians would come down to Chambers Park and often the halftime team talk would go something like this. Boys, you're put it down players. And they were playing at Chambers Park. And every time you play at Chambers Park, especially whenever Belfast boys come down, you make sure that they know they're playing put it down men. You're playing for the shirt. You're playing for the man beside you. You're playing for the royal blue. Go back out. And usually we got beat again in the second half. <laughs> but it was a rallying cry to our identity. And Peter here identifies for the people that they are lowly. We know that they're lowly. They're facing many different things. And here he comes, and he doesn't just restore who they are from the book of Hosea. Because in Hosea chapter 1 and verse 9, this is what it says. The Lord said, call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yes, it's a restoration of that from the book of Hosea in the Old Testament, and the people in this church would know that, but it's much more It is all the way back into the Garden of Eden. Now, this evening you're probably saying to me, how do we get from here to Eden in verses 9 through 10? Well, here we see that Peter is restoring the office of prophet and priest and king this evening. 
He restores it to God's people. Verse 9, you are a chosen people. It would be helpful if you have your finger in the book of Genesis as we refer to some verses here in the, uh, the start of Genesis in the chapter 1. And we will see here how for God's people, Peter is restoring the identity of who we were made to be. So Genesis uh, chapter 1 and verse 31 this evening, keep a, a finger between the two and you'll see this, that God created man and in verse 31, God saw that he, had, that he had made, and it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. He had just created man, and he saw that he was good. Man was precious to God. He had made him in his own image. He was chosen and precious. Adam was put into the garden, made of God, and he was good. And he was very good. He was chosen then verse 9 of our passage, he is, uh, or this royal, we're thinking of this royal status, this kingly status, and that is bestowed upon Adam in Genesis chapter 1, and in verse 26 we see it, God makes Adam a ruler. Verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Adam was a king in the garden. Then in verse 9, it talks about this royal priesthood. How was Adam a priest? Adam was this original priest in the garden. He was the archetypal priest of all of Israel. How do we see that? Well, we see many allusions to the garden as being a sanctuary. This is God's special dwelling place. His presence is there. The same Hebrew word is used of the Garden of Eden as it is of the Holy of Holies. Ezekiel 28 and 14 through to 16 tells us that Eden was a holy mountain. This is where God dwelt. And if we look at the Holy of Holies in the temple, we see that it reflects Eden, the tree of life in the candles, in, in the lampstand, the cherubim on the ark, the leaves and the images that are used to decorate it. And the words used for Adam here in the garden is this, to cultivate it and to keep it. That he will cultiv cultivate the garden and that he will keep it. These are the same words that are used in Numbers and Chronicles and Ezekiel to refer to the word or to refer to the role of priest. And often in many other places through the Hebrew language, we hear of this cultivation and this keeping as regarded to as serving and guarding. So Adam is given his priestly status here in chapter 2, and in verse 15, the Lord took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Adam, the prophet, he was to keep God's word. God had given him his word. He was to guard it and to speak it in the garden and to pass it on to all generations. He was the king to rule over the garden, and he was the priest to protect it, to guard it, to serve it. And yet Adam failed in all three of these titles. God had blessed him with these. And at the fall, his identity was changed. As a prophet, he failed to declare the word of God in the garden to the serpent. As a priest, he failed to guard it and to keep the garden holy. And as a king, he failed to crush the enemy, the serpent, as it entered the garden. And since Genesis, our identity as human beings had been totally changed. 
We had lost this original sense of who we are. And all the way through the Old Testament, we were waiting for the one who would come, the ultimate prophet and priest and king, who would come to restore our identity. So do we feel the weight of it? Whenever Peter declares these words to the church, this isn't just something that's light. It's not just a a declaration, a light declaration upon them, but this is a restoration of humanity, that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We see and feel the weight of that this evening. Can you imagine as that was read to the people, read to the churches here throughout modern-day Turkey, can you imagine their joy as they would have known the verses of Scripture that said, no longer are you my people. And here Peter brings this great declaration, you are my people. I have chosen you. Once you were not a people, once you were nobodies, once you were weak and dying, now you are in Christ, you are alive, and you are citizens of God's kingdom. Once you had not received mercy, now you've received mercy. Once you were condemned to hell, and now you have forgiveness. Once we were haters of light, and now we've been brought into the light. So friend, this evening, are you struggling with your faith? Are you doubting your faith this evening? Know this, that you are part of a chosen race. Are you worried this evening about your purity? You're you're, you're haunted by feelings of guilt. Listen, you are part of a royal priesthood. And if you're haunted about being alone and in loneliness, you are part of this holy nation See, what does this mean for us? This means for us that this is the gospel. Whenever Christ prayed that prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done, he was going to go to the cross for us so that our identity would be totally transformed, that our identity from the Garden of Eden would be restored to us once again, that God could proclaim this over us, that you are a chosen people. He goes to the cross of Calvary and he brings those whom the Father had given to him with him. And he he sheds his blood for us on Calvary so that those who are chosen of God would be redeemed by a spirit. This is who Peter says that we are. This is who God says that we are this evening. Christian, you are God's possession. You're no longer a people of darkness. You've been called out of that. You're now a people of light. You've been called away from your natural dark dark habitat, the thing that we love to go to as creatures. We love to hide from God. We love to go back into the darkness as our forefathers did in the garden. They love to hide from God, but he calls us out. He calls us into his beautiful, holy light. And we thank God this evening that he has proclaimed this over us. If we are believers this evening, if you are a Christian, Brother and sister, see this. This is who you are and feel the weight of it. Our time is nearly away from us. Our final point is very, very simple. 
from verse 9 that we must go and we must declare the gospel. Whenever we get good news, we love to share it, don't we? Think of the, the husband and wife who can't have children and suddenly they find out that they are expecting the joy that overtakes them. They want to tell everyone. They'll gather their friends in. They'll gather their family. They'll share this good news with them. Whenever a couple gets engaged, they will tell everyone. They'll post it on Facebook and make sure that all people know about it. When a teen passes their driving test or exams, we want to share good news. Here God tells us that we must share his good news. Go and declare it, verse 9. And this declaration is twofold for us this evening. Firstly, he asks and calls us and requires us to declare it one with the other. So as we gather in the church and as we sing God's praises, we're singing it to one another. Yes, we're singing them to God, but we're also singing it to each other to encourage one another. Declare this to one another, Peter is encouraging the church. Tell each other on a Sunday morning, whenever you see each other on a Sunday evening, on a Monday throughout the week, that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Brother, sister, you've been called out of darkness into God's wonderful light. Once mercy was not upon you, and now mercy is. Declare that over one another. Speak it to one another. Encourage one another through these words. And then the other way we have to declare it, well, is to tell other people. We have to tell those who live around here to tell those who we rub shoulders with and work, to tell those in our family who don't yet know it, look at this beautiful good news of the gospel. Look at what God has done for us. Look at what he has achieved for us. Look at what Christ has done for us on the cross. Look at what he has overturned for us. How he's transformed our identity. As believers, he speaks these words over us, that we are chosen and precious to him in Christ, and we have been made a new people, called out of our old life into his wonderful mercy. It is God who has called us out of darkness. And so too he asks us to go and to call others, declare me to people, show them that they are loved. Declare to them that Christ will either be their foundation or cause them to be the rock of their offense. Go and tell them that their identity has been changed if they will believe in me and seek my, seek my forgiveness and walk with me all the days that they have on earth. As we close tonight, we want to see God's mercy at work here. God's mercy at work in this church and in our church, in our lives in our brothers' and sisters' lives around us, as we have heard from Josh this evening about what happened in Ballyclare, or Ballycastle, as we heard about little ones coming to know him, hearts being transformed and changed, that we would see God's mercy, that we would celebrate his goodness, and that we would declare this beauty of God one with the other and with the world around us. So tonight, how do we respond? We respond this evening in joyful acclamation that we declare our God is risen, that we declare that we are in love with him, that our hearts are full of joy. And this shows us if we understand this evening what he has done. 
to highlight where we have come from, and to understand that this is our greatest announcement that the world has ever known, that because of Christ, you are chosen and you are precious in the King of Kings' sight. This is the glorious news of the eternal plan of our sovereign God this evening. He builds His temple. He chooses His people. Christ came here for you. He has worked His Spirit to bring you to Himself, and we praise God for that. Let us bow in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word to us this evening. Lord, we go all the way back to Genesis and how you created man in your own image and you bestowed these titles upon him, but because of sin, our identity was lost and was ruined. But yet, Father, you came and you promised that you would come and you revealed your grace throughout the Old Testament through the prophets. And then as Jesus Christ came and went to Calvary, Father, and rose again from the dead, he changed our identity. This is the greatest announcement known to us, that we have been chosen, that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Father, fill our hearts. Help us to declare this good news, that we would declare it one with the other, that we would declare it with those whom we meet. Father, we ask for your help. Help us to understand this this evening. Help us to respond to your word in an appropriate way. Father, we ask that you would kindle our hearts and change our affections. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.